open up to Luke 24 if you like, or follow us on our overhead. Starting in verse 13. Oh, the children, please, I'm sorry. Children, go. Franklin, that's not you, all right? You understand. We love you. Praise God. Is it cold in here or is it okay? It's hot. I just got myself in a lot of trouble asking that question. If you're hot, get on the left side. If you're cold, get on the right side. We'll take it from there. Praise God. Open up to Luke 24. Starting in the 13th verse. Two of them were going, on, going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They went, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they have seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go for, he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was with them at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what happened on the road, and now he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand what took place on this day. Help us to understand this supernatural event on these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let us know why the secrecy. Why did you hide yourself from them, Father God? 
Teach us these things. We want to know here today in the 21st century Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, God. We want to know more and more of Jesus from the scriptures, God. Open up our minds, God, to understand the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Easter, according to the scriptures, and that's the highlight of the whole chapter 24 in the book of Luke. There are four short stories in the book of Luke. The first three have one major theme running through all. There are actually two major themes. Believe and the word of God. Believe and the word of God. Those are the two major themes in the first three little vignettes in chapter 24 of Luke. We only read one of them. And I will explain them as we go along. Last week on Palm Sunday, I spoke about how the crowd that welcomed Jesus into the city with shouts and shouts of joy. Hosanna filled the air of the earthly king. But unfortunately, unbelief in a personal savior filled the hearts. And Jesus wept. The story we're about to study today is similar, but from another perspective. In that crowd of finicky faith of last week... And unbelief, there were a couple of genuine disciples. These genuine disciples were represented here by two friends. One's name we know is Clopas, the other name we don't know. They had more than superficial believism. As the finicky crowd had last week when they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, only to cry out days later, crucify him. These two disciples didn't have some kind of superficial beliefism that's unfortunately characteristic of even Christianity today. Theirs was a real faith, but it was uninformed. They did not believe in all that the prophets had said about the Christ. You see, they cherry-picked the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. They saw the great promises of restored Israel but they failed to see the promise of a new Israel. An Israel, which really means the people of God, which comprises both of Jew and Gentile, they missed that. This new Israel is not a physical nation, but a spiritual entity characterized by a new heart towards God. True worshiping obedience from the heart, the whole person's involved, the mind, the soul, the will. And the grand foundation of this new Israel, this new spiritual entity, where Jew and Gentile live together in harmony, is the common ground that they share in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Making one new man, one new creation out of the two, as Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2. The Old Testament promised, for sure, a restored Israel. But there was a bigger overarching plan for all humanity that Israel and these two disciples, they missed it totally. And that is why these two disciples are downcast. They're broken on the inside. As Jesus said, you are slow to heart to believe in all the scriptures. Let me give you some fast application. A cherry-picked gospel filled with empty promises and half-truths will always lead people to some degree of despondency. Unless we come to Christ the way he's held out to us in scripture, we're always going to miss something. And our life is going to be empty for it. It's very important to understand that. 
contextually, there are two main themes, like I said already, running throughout this chapter. He's alive and according to the scriptures. He's alive according to the scriptures, or his word, as he says himself. While everyone is marveling at the risen Christ, Jesus is pointing to them to the scriptures. He's almost like, don't look at me, look at the scriptures. In the first story, the angel says this, we didn't read it. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, according to the word of God. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they says, and then they remembered his words. The second story we just read, the third one, we didn't read it. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written in me about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ is suffering on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. So we see here two things, that Christ's words concerning himself are steeped in Old Testament promises. And that all the nations are included. That's the new Israel, that's the new creation. Acts shows this, the whole book of Acts is the fulfillment of what we just read. So it's important to our understanding of Christ's words to his two disciples and the whole resurrection story today. That the resurrection is not just about Jesus being raised... But it's much bigger. It's about the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. Of making a people for himself. This one new Israel out of Jew and Gentile. This is part of what the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they missed it. They only believed in some of what the prophets said. They were slow of heart, and I'll get into that later. But there's something you have to realize when we read this 2,000 years later. Jesus Christ had to teach his disciples... How to live by faith now. There was no more earthly Jesus to comfort them, to direct them, to lead them, to teach them and to guide them and to encourage them, to rebuke them and to correct them. He's not there anymore. They have to learn to make the transition to live by faith in what the word of God says. That's why I have Easter According to the scriptures. Jesus Christ has to get their eyes off this resurrection. He must have been glorious. And get their eyes on the scriptures. That's what we do every week here. We want to lift up Christ in the scriptures. That is it. This is a big transition for them. So I don't want you to miss that tonight. Let's go to our story. I'm going to read the first four verses and I'll make some comments as we go along. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In our story tonight, we see Jesus acting like the innocent bystander. Just walking over here in a conversation, just entering in, hanging out with them, just another body on the road. They figured he, these two disciples realized that, well, he was probably in Jerusalem, he heard everything. 
Not realizing that he didn't. And this sets the stage for something. It sets the stage for his marvelous unveiling later in dinner. The stage has been set. But for now it serves as a vehicle of investigation. And that's what we're going to get into. Some kind of forensic stuff over here. It's a vehicle of, of investigation and then to exhortation. Listen to what he says in verse 17. He says this. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they, they stood still. And they looked sad. And, and Jesus' question to them shows them the state that they were in. And the word sad here means totally despondent, downcast, and gloomy. They're wearing their sadness. Basically, they can basically just barely make it back to Emmaus. They're just so overwhelmed with abject emotional sadness. They, they basically can't go on no more. And that's when Jesus comes out of nowhere. Uh, expect that in your own life at times. Jesus seems to come out of nowhere at the lowest times. These two disciples were at their lowest time. These words set the tone of their whole conversation up until Jesus comes into their life. And that's a metaphor for us. Life is sad and lonely until Christ comes into our life. We're despondent and we don't even know it. All their hopes, all their dreams were crucified with Jesus. There's basically nothing left to live for now. We had hoped that he was going to restore Israel. They put all their hope into this one part. They didn't believe in all the scriptures, only the part they wanted. Christians do that today. And then something Calamity comes into someone's life and they say, how could God do this to me? The, the prophet told me, the pastor told me, and, and, and I believed it, and, and, and something bad happened to my life. We have to know everything God says about the Christian life. Why suffering? Why death? Why sickness? Why sadness? Why do these things happen to the Christian? This should be our best life now, shouldn't it be? That's what some people want you to believe. That's what these two disciples on the road to Emmaus thought. He was healing the dead. He was raising the dead. He was healing the sick. Surely this is the prophet. Surely the time has come. And guess what? It didn't come. And now their life is basically over. They're going back home to Emmaus. They're downcast, they're despondent. Life is basically not worth living anymore. All our hopes, all our dreams for three years, we were ready, we were living in expectation, and now it's like the road, the rug has been pulled right out from underneath us. Why bother? There's nothing to move forward in life anymore. That sets the stage for the next section. Listen to verses 18 to 24. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> Don't miss it. This is, this is, Christ is setting up the whole thing over here. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Let's make sure that our hope is in nothing less than the scriptures. We can all fall into that. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not find him. Jesus is absolutely brilliant here. He's using their hopeless and sad experience as an object lesson in faith. He allows themselves to reveal the real underlying problem to their pain. And the real underlying problem to their pain is not that God didn't pull through. is that their hope wasn't based on all of what the scriptures have said. They only believed in half of the story. And besides that, it's the third day. Paraphrasing what that means. He said it was going to rise, but guess what? He didn't. He's failed us too. It's the third day. Where is he? It gets worse. Even though some women saw an angel and told us, no one really believed because they didn't see him. Blessed are those who believe and do not. This is a transition. You've got to make a transition to believing in Christ though you don't see him anymore. You and I don't have that problem. When we're born again, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit enlightens us. We see Christ as though he was alive and crucified all at one time. They had to make that transition, and it's not easy. So what they're saying is that the apostles heard the women, but thought they were foolish. Even Peter ran there, but he saw nothing. So without any real hard evidence, guess what? We're not going to believe either. Sounds like doubting doubting Thomas. Again, Jesus sets the whole tone here. That New Testament religion will be one of faith in him and his work, along with trusting in the scriptures. If you don't see Jesus in the scripture, you don't see Jesus at all. He's found in the Bible. Me and John were at a, a conference once, and we realized there was no, there was no, there was no cross in the church. And so John went up and asked and said, well, "You know, where's the cross?" And they said, "The cross is in the Word of God. We don't have to have symbols." The heart of faith sees Jesus in every sermon. The heart of faith sees Jesus in every verse of scripture. Listen to verses 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, according to Isaiah, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them 
in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's like one of my favorite verses of scripture in the whole Bible. Jesus now shows the heart of the problem. Before I move on, do you know there's always a heart to our despondency? There's always a root problem. And many times in life we suffer with just the fruit of sadness and the fruit of despondency or it could be depression, whatever it might be, all these things. And we struggle. There's a, there's a heart, there's a root problem to everything in life. The root problem of what's going on over here is they were slow to heart to believe. They were in the synagogue. They would go to the synagogue. Every good Jew went to the synagogue every Sabbath. And they would read the Old Testament and go through the whole Old Testament every two and a half to three years. These Jewish two young men, they heard Isaiah 53 over and over and over and over. They heard Psalm 18 over and over again, that his bones would not be, would see decay. They knew it, but they could not see it because it did not apply to them right away. It's always a mistake. How many times you come to church and you just want your felt need met? Who's hurting today? Don't you want to hear a sermon that's going to be just for you? Just to make you feel comfortable God's with me? You see, when you understand the big picture, then you'll know God is always with you. And you realize that you're part of something much grander than our own life. And the closer I get to the God of the scripture, to the Jesus of the scripture, my life and all its problems, guess what? It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till I start to realize, you know something, my problems aren't that bad. And now God can get my full devotion. He says they're foolish. Foolish means dull. It doesn't mean stupid. And it's important for us to understand that. It means they just glossed over it. They missed that sermon that day. You know, or, or something like, oh, that was a great sermon. I wish my friend was here to hear it. No, no, you need to hear it. Amen. Not someone else. Yes. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. They were dull. They were foolish. Do you know any time a truth of the Bible is being expounded on and you're not really devoting your heart to it, you know what we are? Foolish. When the preacher is expounding on scripture, and even though it doesn't apply to you that day, if it is truth, understand something. You need it. As a matter of fact, your life can't go on without it. Even if you can't apply it today, you will apply it sooner or later, more than once. We need all biblical truth. You can't just have Jesus loves me truth. I need that. But I also need to hear what does he expect of me to pick up my cross and follow him. I got a reason to live now. Even in my suffering, Christ redeems my suffering. He, received, he, he redeems my loneliness. 
He redeems all my mistakes in my life. All my self-inflicted wounds. Christ redeems everything. They don't see the big picture. They only see from personal perspective. And that's a dangerous thing to do as Christians. We have to be careful of that. The only answer that Christ gives us to the state of mind and heart is take two aspirin and see me in the morning. No, he doesn't give him any medication. Doesn't give him prescription. He gives him a proper interpretation of the scripture. And that's what everybody in this room needs every week is a proper interpretation of scripture. And if you want a proper interpretation of Scripture, you don't start in Revelation, you go back to Moses. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets and the law, he gave them a full interpretation. Means He explained fully everything mentioned about him. And what happened to their hearts? Well, let's go on, let's see. Verses 28 to 32. So they drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards the evening, and the day is almost far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures. I love this. You would have think when he vanished, they would have said, where did he go? I mean, that's the first thing I would have thought. I said, John, where, where did he go? What, what happened to this guy? But something bigger was going on. Their hearts were burning. with. They're not sad anymore. They're not despondent anymore. They got a proper interpretation of the Christ. They got a proper interpretation of who Jesus Christ is, what he was supposed to do, what he did, what he's doing now, and what he's going to do when he comes back again. And that made their hearts, they're not sick with sadness anymore. I remember that happened to me. I remember when I became a Christian. And I remember... Every Bible study, I remember learning more truth and more truth and more truth. I was like, I was forgetting the old Brian Martin. I walked in through the doors at 30 years old. He didn't exist anymore. Something new was developing. There was a renewing of my mind. I started understanding everything the Word of God had to say concerning Jesus Christ. I wasn't getting a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of Jesus there, a little catechism there anymore. Now I fully saw everything about Christ. Do you know when you have that, there's not much room for sadness anymore. When you really grasp Christ by faith and what the Word of God says, you'll be surprised how much sadness that God takes out of our life. So listen. Because of Jesus' proper interpretation of Scripture, their hearts are set on fire. From being despondent only hours before because of misunderstanding to be being filled with hope again because of a proper interpretation. 
This is powerful. This is the message of our text. They have to make the transition from knowing only a little bit about Jesus and only seeing the earthly Jesus to having a full interpretation of the death and resurrection of Christ. And this is what sets the heart on fire. Nothing can set the heart on fire than a proper interpretation of Scripture. This is never used anywhere in Scripture. Except here. Their hearts burned within them. You won't find that in one psalm in the Old Testament. They loved the law, but their hearts never burned. I hope you feel the heart burned every once in a while when you're reading the scripture. When the scriptures are being explained and you have a proper understanding and our own life gets put aside for a while where we find out more about the kingdom of Christ and our role and our job in the kingdom of God. This is powerful. This is a big transition. Their hearts burned within them only when they saw Jesus in the scripture. It's unfortunate today how people come to church wanting a spiritual experience or they want something to happen to them. You know, some kind of earth shaking. You know, Mount Sinai experience where God speaks in a thundering roar. But if you have proper faith, you don't need that. Because you see Jesus in the scripture. Faith in Christ in the scripture. What he has done for us. And he takes all that slowness out. He takes that dullness out of us. Just going to do a couple of applications. Just want to make sure you understand the point of Luke 24. The transition from a life of seeing Christ in the flesh. To learn to live by faith in the Jesus of the Bible. This is an apt metaphor for life. Life could be a very lonely journey. You might not see that at 15 or see that at 25, but by the time you are 50, you will start realizing something's lonely about life. The closer you get to the end of the world, the closer you get to the end of your life, you realize what a lonely journey. Two people walking through this lonely journey together might help manage the pain, but could never remove it. Only when the real Jesus steps into it will it be a life built on eternal hope. I love speaking to my friends. I love when they tell me that they don't believe. How can you believe? I just love it. I said, I said, how's the empty feeling? How's that empty feeling? What empty feeling? You know the empty feeling. You're the same. You're 60 years old. You beat cancer twice. And you still don't want to believe? How much time do you have left? We're 60 years old. That means 65% of our life is over. If you are 60 years old, I'm telling you today, 65% of your life is over. It's over. So I tell him, I said, what do you do with that emptiness? 
What do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night and just fear grips you? Anxiety grips you. Loneliness grips you. And you try to shake it out. And you try to laugh it off with some nervous laughter. And you just try to forget about it and suppress it and go on with the day. I said, how do you do it? I said, give me Jesus any day. Amen. Nothing can re- remove that abject hopelessness that comes when you don't know the Lord. You can suppress it. You can have all the nervous laughter you want. You can try to rationalize it, justify it. Death comes to everybody. But when it's getting closer and closer to you, it is one cold, lonely, hopeless feeling. And I pray that nobody in this church ever has that. There's another super narrative here. There's something much greater and grander than just our personal lives. And many people come to Christ and we don't realize, we're not coming because I feel like some dreadful sinner who's condemned to hell and I'm going to run to Jesus. No, most people come like myself. I heard the gospel and I realized I don't, I don't have God in my life. I didn't realize how lost I was. But one thing I knew, I needed forgiveness and I needed God at the center of my life. And that's what happens. All of a sudden, there's this super narrative over our life. Our life is just not about us getting up and hammering out another day on on this planet. You know, just trying to make life a little better for us and our family. These are all good things. But there's got to be something grander. There has to be something greater than just our life. And what is that? It's called the plan of redemption. The Christian lives forever. Lives forever. We do not die. Please understand that. You do not die. You live forever. Forever. And the older you are, the more you should rejoice. I love Aunt Diana, 90 years old. She goes, what do I want to live for 100? I want to go home now. (laughs) Sitting down with my Aunt Diana and another aunt. The other aunt's even older. Devout Catholic. And I'm speaking about, me and Aunt Diana are speaking about when we go home to be with the Lord. She's like, I'm not ready to die. Aunt Diana says, if you're not ready now, when are you going to be ready? You're 92 years old. We're old. But here's what happens. When you know the Lord personally, you don't care. You're not trying to prolong the pain. They got a bad leg, they got a bad back, they got a bad neck, and they still want to live. You gotta be kidding me. It's over. Let's go home. We make light of it, but understand something. This metaphor, what's going on, this real story over here, is there are many people walking through life, just barely making by. They're just going from one town of life to another town of life, one relationship to another relationship. Maybe it's another job. Maybe it's another girlfriend. Maybe it's another boyfriend. Maybe it's another city. Maybe it's another this. And they're on this road of life, and it's not going to change until Christ comes into your life. It is as simple as that. Nothing can suffice for a relationship with Jesus Christ. just cannot. The emphasis on scripture, scriptural understanding, 
is overwhelming in our text. Go home tonight and just read this chapter. You see how many times it's pointing to the word of God, to the scriptures, or to Christ's own words. Proper interpretation of the Bible, a proper interpretation of scripture, a proper interpretation of Jesus Christ is medicine to the soul. To the soul. Pastorally, it's a pound of cure for those who grew up with a little bit of Jesus, but no proper interpretation. And it's an ounce of prevention for all Christians who really know Jesus Christ. There's no substitute for filling the mind with understanding. And that's what we do in this church. We do it Saturday at Kimmy's Women. We do it every Monday with the men. We do a little bit on Thursday in prayer. We do it every Sunday afternoon with Pastor John upstairs. We do it every Sunday from every, every sermon we do. We explain Christ from the scriptures. And if you have that faith, guess what? You won't be hopeless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the story of Jesus walking with his two disciples, even though they were hopeless, God. He could have came and just loved them right away, but he didn't. He painstakingly took the time to teach them to see him in the scriptures. I pray, God, that all Christians take the time to develop the habit of seeing Christ in the scriptures. I pray this church always stays faithful to our call to teach and to preach Christ from the scriptures. God, open up our minds also to understand the word of God. And Father, let us be a church whose hearts are burning with fire because of the scriptures. In Jesus' name.